0: Hello, I'm Pastor Sean and I'm here with Apostle Freddie. Welcome back this week for another episode. And today's episode is on Shavuot or Feast of Weeks. And if you haven't watched it, the Apostle just did a whole sermon on this last night. So go make sure you go back and check that out. And anything new this week, Apostle?
1: No, I know it's an exciting week as we look forward to uh, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, It's just always a meaningful day. Uh, to me, I like to experience the presence of God, His outpouring, and but uh, something interesting that I shared last night that um, I've noticed through the years that on Pentecost Sunday there is a uh, a more of a expectation or a uh, drawing of of salvation, and uh, and it just kind of hit me that you know when Pentecost hit, Peter preached preach with boldness mm-hmm. and three thousand souls were saved and so i believe we can have those experiences uh on pentecost sunday so i'm you know just kind of looking at a different focus a little bit on that amen. so maybe uh, some of our teachings will help people and understand and enlighten them a little bit in that area
0: cool. we hope so amen
1: <laughs> so we'll dive right in it's uh
0: Normally throughout these passages on Shavuot, they read through Deuteronomy chapter 14 through 16 and different sections of it. But uh, today we're going to go a little bit off track and uh, we'll just dive right in. So uh, the day God gave Torah is the same day that Pentecost happened 1,500 years later. Okay. Or, uh, yeah, in Acts 2. So... You know, the scripture comes up to me, and I'm going to base this whole sermon off of this. This whole teaching is, "If you love me, you will obey me," found in the book of John. So, and this whole teaching is based on that. So, Shavuot in Hebrew is the word for sevens or for weeks, and seven sevens, forty-nine days, seven weeks. It's uh, celebrated a fifty-day fiftieth day after Passover. So, the Greek word penta means fifty, which is what we get Pentecost from. And it is also uh, the time of the grain harvest. So, or the wheat harvest, you could say. Mm-hmm. You know. But uh, Leviticus uh, 22 through 30 it talks about the thanks offering. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not uh, pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and for the foreigner living among you. I am the Lord your God. Um, the Lord said to Moses, Give the people the following instructions. Uh, on the first day of the appointed month of early autumn, you are to observe a day of complete rest. It will be an official day for the holy assembly, a day commemorated with a loud blast of a trumpet. You must not do any ordinary work on that day. Instead, you are to present special gifts to the Lord. So, uh, this leads into the section for the Day of Atonement. And it leads in for, uh, you know, all of the the different ones. But this was uh, actually mentioned in, you know, the part leading up to Shavuot. And uh, traditionally, they say King David was born on Pentecost.
1: Now, that's a new one. I hadn't
0: heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of your Jewish people uh, explain that. And then uh, in the early church, they taught that. But we don't really much hear that anymore. But... Uh, The entire book of Ruth is read on Shavuot. Uh, Rabbis believe that the five books of Moses was given on Shavuot. So on the mountain, when he came down, he brought the first five books along with the tablets. So it's very interesting. There's two different theories on that. So, but I'm just telling you as they teach it. But uh, the festival of unleavened bread, we saw uh, God's perfect life and no sin. So that's what it, that represents. The through Passover we saw his death and sacrifice for us, and through first fruits we see his resurrection because he's the first fruits from the dead. Hmm. So we got those three feasts covered there. On Shavuot the law was given, and in Acts two the Spirit was given on the self same day. So the fulfillment of the law is to have God's Spirit dwelling in us, and to have God's law written on our hearts. That's the fulfillment of the law. Uh, as you're seeing these two things coincide with one another. There may be a 1,500-year gap, but that's the fulfillment of it. So these four feasts all have their fulfillments. The last three have not had their fulfillments yet. But uh, in Jewish tradition during Shavuot, when the law was given every year, uh, Jew, every Jew heard it in his own language. Mm-hmm. So when Shavuot happened and God was uh, speaking on the mountain and they heard the rumblings. We read through that in Exodus and we read through that in uh, Leviticus. We've gone over these. Mm -hmm. And what is happening is people are, when God speaks, it sounds like a trumpet. The blast was happening as he spoke and every person was around in the camp. So Egyptians and everybody far off in a great distance, there's historical documents written where they heard something going on, but it sounded in their own language. So even in Moses' day, we had a manifestation where it sounded where people heard things in their own language. Mm-hmm. When God was speaking to Moses on the mountain, children were hearing it. And the, the scribes and your rabbis record this. So in Acts two, we have a much of the same thing happening where everyone heard in their own language. And,
1: yeah, and that's what it says, because you know it's always been given all the way since this time of God gave Moses the Mm -hmm. laws and how to celebrate the feast. There was three feasts that were all men Mm -hmm. had to attend and their wives and their children. So, uh, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, uh, we would know it today, uh, was one of those feasts. Mm-hmm. And so that's why so many people was in Jerusalem because it was a mandatory feast. And so when the people, the prophets or the apostles came out filled with the Holy Ghost or the, the 120, mm-hmm. you know, they were, uh, they were all filled and they all heard him speak in, in every language that, uh, you know, that's why so many were there and they had to speak. And it, you know, a lot of times, and, and you pointed this out last night, uh, we, uh, we'll pray in tongues. And a lot of times we have no clue, you know, what we're actually saying, but most of the time we'll have a sense of, of what we're praying about. It will come forth. But, you know, I believe, Every language, every tongue that people speak in is actually a language, uh, unknown to me or unknown to you, but it is a language. And as they heard these men, these Galileans speak, they heard it in their own language. Mm-hmm. So there was no mistaken about what was going on and what was happening. And that's why the it says there in Acts two that they were amazed that these were just Galileans that were speaking. They were astonished. It says mm-hmm. so. It was a, a big deal. Amen.
0: You know, uh, we were on Galilee, mm-hmm. and uh, it reminded me of this story. Mm-hmm. You know, we was there in Israel, and just the, we were at the upper room. Mm-hmm. We've, uh, and it's, it's, it's really something, you know, to think back on that. I may put up a few pictures of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, speaking that language, thinking that God did the same thing, and when he spoke in his voice that everybody heard it in their mm-hmm. own language, when he was speaking to Moses, and then having that manifestation 1,500 years later. It was really something to do, something big happening here. And it makes you wonder if the apostles uh, put that together then. Yeah, so, now,
1: well, we were in the upper room, Sean. Let mm-hmm. me ask you. You know, we were, our guide was really whispering, trying to keep things quiet. But did you, you slip off to the side and pray in the Holy Ghost while mm-hmm. you the upper room? I, I did sure too. I <laughs> just wanted that experience myself. <laughs> I sure
0: did. There was a lot of people there. Mm -hmm. um, In Acts 2, when the Spirit fell, everyone heard it, and great things of God spoken in their own native language, the offering that was given on Shavuot, two loaves of bread, Jews and Gentiles coming together. Mm -hmm. So this is what we see through these two events happening. You had the uh, Jews with their manifestation of hearing God's uh, voice, and then 1,500 years later, everyone who heard it was saved in their own language. How much was added to the church that day?
1: 3,000
0: souls had it that day. So it's just something to think about. It wasn't just Jews around that heard that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I know we have the Cornelius event and the whole spirit being given and things like that. I'm not saying anything, yeah. but let's uh, let's move on. Uh, Two-stick prophecy in Ezekiel, uh, 37, 14 through 28. It talks about that. Let me pull that up here. And... If you've never heard the two-stick prophecy before, it has a much to do with this. So I will pour I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord have spoken, and I have done what I have said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Again, A message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, take a piece of wood and carve it on these these words. This represents Judah and its allied tribes. And then take another piece and carve these words on it. This represents Ephraim and the northern tribes. Now, hold them together in your hand as if they were one piece of wood. When your people ask you what your actions mean, say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and join them to Judah. I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. Then hold out the pieces of wood you have inscribed so the people can see them and give them this message from the sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. I will bring them home to their own land from the places where they have been scattered. I will unify them into their own nation on the mountains of Israel. One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two nations or into two kingdoms. They will never again pollute themselves with idols, vile images, and rebellion, for I will save them from their sinful apostasy. I will cleanse them, then they will truly be my people, and I will be their God. Uh, My servant David will be their king, Mm -hmm. and they will have only one shepherd, and they will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where their ancestors lived. They and their children and their grandchildren after them will live there forever, generation after generation, and my servant David will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. I will give them their land and increase their numbers. I will put my temple among them forever. I will make my home among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, the nations will know that I am the Lord who makes Israel holy. Hmm. Now, that's a very specific prophecy. Yeah, it has the events where He brings them back as a nation, and then it goes prophetically into the future. Hmm. So we see that there, uh, you know, when the millennial kingdom comes back, uh, when God sets up King David, resurrects Him, brings Him back as king over Israel, in. Hmm. Jesus will be over the whole world.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's, it's one of some of these things that you see. But I want you to pay attention to where it's talking about Ephraim and Judah as the two sticks. Mm-hmm. What it's talking about is it, uh, the kingdom of Judah represents all the Jews that we know in the world. And the kingdom of Jacob or Ephraim represents the northern kingdom that dispersed around the whole world. Mm-hmm. So it represents every Gentile nation. So they, get, they went to every nation in the world. Uh, they touched the whole world so when they dispersed. And uh, I, you can track their migrations. You can track where they went. You can track it through the banners and the insigns they had on the last ses- session. I mentioned that. We'll get more into that when we get towards uh, uh, Sheet. when we get towards that later in the year, when we get back to Genesis. So we we'll save that for last because we started out in Exodus. But I just wanted to touch on that. that this is what the two-stick prophecy is relating to. So everyone, this includes everyone. We're putting the two sticks together, all the lost tribes, the Goim, And, you know, Jesus spoke of that. I've come not for, but for the lost house of Israel. So he's teaching and showing these different things. And this is part of that fulfillment. And this is part of what Shavuot is teaching, leading us into coming back together as one. So the first fulfillment we see of this is uh, God bringing his spirit on Pentecost. And then later when his spirit fell on Cornelius. So we remember the the story of Cornelius, where uh, was it Peter? Peter in Acts chapter 10. Mm -hmm. And uh, he got baptized. He got filled with the spirit and they, they suddenly realized that, Hey, the spirit's not just for the Jews Mm -hmm. and brought about all of that. So, God's always been bringing the Gentiles back in, and he's always been bringing everywhere where the lost house is. Now, he never says uh, for all the Gentiles in that manner. He does mention Gentiles several times, but what he's mentioning is for the lost house. Mm. So they've dispersed, touched the whole world, and that's how everyone's brought into it. You're not considered. The the important part of that is you're not considered, hey, you're just a foreigner. Mm. No, you're considered part of the family. You're a son. Because so, yeah. they dispersed every one of them, so it's it's important to see that. So <clears throat> Shavuot is the is a time of the first fruits of wheat. The Hebrew word for uh, wheat is bar in Aramaic, and is, is sun means sun. Shavuot is the harvest time of the heads of wheat. So one hundred forty four thousand in the Book of Revelations. I'd like to point this out. Um, You got the barley harvest, you got uh, the wheat harvest, and you got the fruit harvest. So the barley harvest would represent the rapture of the church. Because it's the the first, it's the the grain, it's what happens in the book of Ruth, you know, Boaz and going back and forth. It's a prophetic timeline. The uh, harvest of wheat represents 144,000 in the book of Revelations. I'll go deeper into this at a later date. But that's your second rapture event. So that happens halfway through. Uh, the seven years of tribulation, yeah. and then your last rapture event is when God ra- uh, resurrects everyone for the white throne judgment. Mm-hmm. So it's important to realize that we have three separate events going on here. You know, you got people arguing every day: pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trip. There's one for each. Yeah. So it's important to understand that uh, people are getting mixed up. Yeah. They're trying to prove just one angle, and they're not reading that the everything for the as the whole is it what it really is. Mm-hmm. So there are three rapture events and this is why people get mixed up. So we'll go into that at a later date. Maybe I'll teach a side video on it, but it's just, just something I'm going to point out. So, um, tabernacles, the, the fall harvest. So this is your last one, Mm -hmm. the final harvest of God pouring out a judgment on white throne judgment. When everyone who was not previously resurrected will be resurrected and judged by God, the fall harvest is the great harvest. So, The Grapes of Wrath. We've all heard that term, Mm -hmm. and it's important to understand once that's what that leads to. So if you uh, are alive or dead, resurrected in that moment, that's your final one. Uh, The law was given uh, for the Jews on Shavuot. The spirit and fulfillment on Shavuot was on Pentecost. Remember what Jesus said? He did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. So we're going to go into some of that. Um, What did Jesus actually say? Let's take a look. So in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, we're going to go over some of the Beatitudes. We're going to dive in a little bit. and God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, uh, for the, the, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, I'm having trouble talking because I used to always read this in New King, and I'm reading it in New Living, so that's why I'm struggling here. God blesses you when, you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So that's the beginning part we're going into. Mm-hmm. Uh, verses 13 through 16, it talks about the salt and keeping the salt, but the salt loses its flavor. We've all heard those scriptures before, 17 through 20, the law won't disappear until its purpose is achieved. The meat of it all, the law is written on your heart. You know, this is what Jesus is getting at. In verse 21, the law says, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Verse 22, Jesus says, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. It's very interesting. If you call someone an idiot, the court you're in danger of the court. But if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Hmm. So he didn't say this back in Leviticus and all these things we've been covering. He's expanding upon the heart of the law. This is what he's getting at. If you, uh, verses 23 through 24, If you bring a gift to God, but remember someone has something against you, first make it right with them, and then come and offer your sacrifice. Many preachers will teach you that you don't have to make it right to be forgiven. Uh, but Jesus himself set the standard here. If you can, make it right. Hmm. It's very interesting. So he's ex- I, want, I want people to see that throughout this entire thing on the Sermon on the Mount. What is he doing? He's expanding upon it because he's ex- revealing the heart of the law. What was? It's not just the law, and that's all that's important. What's the heart of it? That's what we're getting at. So 25 through 26, settle things out of court if possible. If you're thrown in jail, you will pay every last penny. Uh, Many Christians I've known who have done wrong, but justified it by saying, I'm a child of God. (laughs) Made a public display of it and got exposed. And it's just better to settle it out of court if that's the case. I'm just going to point that out. It's kind of what Jesus is saying there. Verses 27 through 30, the law says you must not commit adultery. Uh, Jesus says, "If you even look at a person with lust in your heart, you've already done it. Better to cut off your hand or gouge out an eye than for your entire body to be cast into hell." He's making a point here, but he's displaying the heart of the law. Uh, verse thirty-one: divorce uh, law says present a certificate. Unless adultery is committed, you are causing adultery by divorce. That's what God says. Verses 33 through 37, uh, the law says you must fulfill your vows you make to God. Jesus says, don't make any vows. He says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. The principle is simple on this. Uh, to not be judged by any vow, just don't make a vow. That's what Jesus is good right. at. Because if you can't fulfill it, you shouldn't be making it. So, Verse 38 through 42, the law says punishment must match the injury. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. If you're uh, sued in court and they take your shirt, give your co- uh, coat also. Uh, give, the, give to those who ask and don't turn away those who want to borrow. He's expanding upon it, showing the heart of the law, the, what God was written, writing, what the purpose was. 43 through 48, the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, love your enemy. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even ta- corrupt tax collectors do that. Hmm. Verse forty-eight: You are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he's really expanding on this at this point. He's like, uh, you know, can we match this? <laughs> you know. So, what's the standard set by Jesus, the Father?
1: Yeah.
0: Be like the Father. Yeah. You know, that's that's really high standard there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the way. That's the example. What we're to live by. That's what he's getting at. Matthew six uh, verses one through four: Don't give to be seen as hypocrites do; give in private, and your father will reward you. So you know how it is. Sometimes people give and look what I've done. Yeah, you know they've got to make a public display of it. But uh, verses five through eight: Don't pray to be heard; pray privately. The father will reward you openly. Don't waste your words in prayer. The father knows what you uh, what th- your needs are even before you ask. This particular section, and I might let him jump in and take this one, is about, it's not about uh, praying publicly. We can all pray publicly and we can pray for people. Mm -hmm. This is covering something that is a matter of arrogance that people were doing.
1: This was um, people wanting to impress people of their uh, how elegantly they could speak in elegant words. Uh, They could speak... uh, our prayer is not to. Our prayers are not to impress God, and definitely not to be to impress others around us. Our prayers are to be sincere, from the heart, to the Father, and, uh, and that's what Jesus in that day. People were arrogant. Um, now we've been on planes to Israel, and uh, on the way at about four in the morning, the the some of the Jewish men would get up and take their prayer shawl and wrap it over their head and and they would face the East and they would begin to, to pray. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in their sincerity of prayer, they, they would, (laughs) are are you watching me? Are you, are are you seeing what I'm doing? And you know, that, that's what Jesus was talking about the very thing. Mm -hmm. They, they, they pray to be seen or pray to be heard. And, uh, and sadly it it still happens today in the church. Uh, uh, people want to use real elegance, but I tell you, some of the greatest prayers have been from the most simplest word spoken, uh, from the most humble people. Uh, and, and you know, if you got it, you got it. But then there's that other one that tries to be humble even in their prayer. But, uh, our prayer's got to be, be sincere to God, and that's what Jesus was coming against. Amen.
0: So you, you heard how he uh, talks about that. Um, you know, and, and when we was on the plane, I, I can attest to that. Uh, there was a there was a guy sitting two seats over from me, and every once in a while, he'd just be like, <laughs> yeah. and so it was like, what's that about? <sighs> but, uh, you know, not all of them did that. No. But there there were definitely some, and it's it's the same thing in the church.
1: Yes, you same know, thing in the church. And you see it, it's... It, it does happen. Yeah. So. Uh, so, and you know, people, I've heard people tell me, say, when I first got saved and I started praying, God answered my prayers. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like God doesn't answer my prayers as like he used to. Well, you know, when you first got saved, you, you had to learn to pray and you just simply prayed the best you could from your heart Uh, You didn't mimic other people, copy other people, or you hadn't learned certain words to say. It was just simple and pure. And that's what pleases the Father. Amen. So I hope you heard that because that's extremely powerful. Uh,
0: How many times do we try to sound elegant? How many times do we try to say when we pray to God, everything that we know, we're bringing out the word and everything else and trying to say we're not being sincere.
1: Yeah. And then there's that one that wants to pray to remind God of his word. Now, uh, it's okay to say your word says, but you can't look, you, your prayers can't. Now, God, you said, now let me remind you what you said. He knows what he said. Uh, just pray. And, you know, I'm praying this scripture. now, And that's something I love to do is, is take a particular scripture. And I do this with Psalms a lot. And, uh, and I'll read the Psalms and then I'll just pray it with, into my life. For the things that I'm struggling with or going through, and uh, that's that's from the heart, and that's what the Father uh, really wants to, to bless the
0: people. Now you got me on that one because it's something that uh, I've done quite a few times. Like God, your Word
1: says, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm yeah.
0: definitely guilty of that. Well,
1: and uh, it's okay. You know, as to read the word and then pray it. Yeah. But uh, I don't think we have to, you know, get in God's face sometimes and, and try to. do absolutely right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but uh, verses 9 through 13 is when we get into the Lord's Prayer. Uh, pretty much, I think, everyone knows that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, verses 14 through 15, forgive others, the Father will forgive you. Uh, refuse, and he will not forgive you. Uh, just because we are commanded to forgive does not mean we don't have to ask for forgiveness from other believers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to point that out. Don't misinterpret scripture. So you don't have to do what you know you ought to, Mm.
1: you know, I know a lot of people have really been hurt in their lives, Mm -hmm. uh, from, from a parent to a friend to a spouse or whatever. Uh, Just really been hurt by someone, and then they come and they give their heart to the Lord. They receive salvation. They pray and ask God to forgive them of their sins. But then you'll hear them say, "But I will not forgive so and so. Not this one person." Well, you know we can't have that attitude because once we do, we just we just stop. We block up. You know the the blessings of flowing of God. Mm -hmm. God wants us. You know. And I really have to remind myself, I have to look back at my life, look at the things that I've done that I'm ashamed of or said that I was ashamed of, or even a judgment that I placed on somebody. Uh, And I have to look back and I have to think, if God forgave me of all of the things that I've done, who am I to say, well, this person's not worthy of forgiveness? Mm -hmm. Uh, I wasn't worthy of forgiveness, but he chose to forgive me. So, uh, and I found out that once I forgive people and move on, uh, that it it just lifts a burden off of me. Mm -hmm. But even many times, I purpose when something was said, I just kind of try to blow it off. Uh, I don't meditate on it, don't dwell on it. Uh, I I found out one time that some uh, gentleman came, and he, he had told me, he said, he had been mad at me for over 10 years. And I was shocked, I thought. Well, I thought we were friends. But it, was, it wasn't because something I'd done. It was because the ministry was blessed and his ministry wasn't blessed. Mm-hmm. And so he, he took it against me. Uh, so, uh, but you know, in that whole 10 years, it never affected me. Because mm-hmm. I, was, I didn't, wasn't harboring anything in my heart. But for 10 years it ate at him and every time he would see me or hear our name mentioned, it would rise up in him. Uh, and that's that's what the enemy wants to do. Absolutely. And God wants us to forgive. So we gotta forgive others each and every day.
0: So what you were saying there, uh, you, you covered that. Uh, you know, if God can forgive me for all of mine, mm-hmm. this tiny little offense that we have, and I hate to say it that way, I know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that tiny little offense. In comparison to all the sins that you've committed. Mm. Yeah. God forgave you of that. And it's just better to just to let it go. Now I know it's hard, mm. but he's you notice how he covered that. It didn't affect you. Yeah. Cause you didn't even know. Yeah. Right. And you know, here you got this other guy, he wasn't successful. He's probably so for why not? Why God? Why? He's probably asked all those 10 years, why? Mm. Mm-hmm. and you know it's it's just so much to carry It is, and it's uh, you know sometimes we don't know why we may not be successful in something but if you've managed to touch a single soul then you've added
1: something to the kingdom that's priceless mm-hmm. so just, just remember that you know last night I'm going to bring this up I, I was mentioning last night that there are seasons in our life that, you know, you just can't wait. I like me. I'm excited. Always excited about the month of August because I've always taught it's a month of answered prayer and, and that and the greatest and the biggest prayers in my life have always been answered in August. But you know, there's a negative. There's And, and you've experienced it sometimes yourself. Uh, there's, a, there's a season that, well, this was the worst season of my life. And so when it comes around, we begin to expect bad things. Yeah. But it's just like me. I, I be I, August. I begin to expect good things. So uh, we we've got to be cautious of you know what we if the negative not to expect it say it's forgiven, it's washed away, it's gone. This time I'm going to breeze right through it. So yeah. I, I just wanted to bring that out while we're talking about forgiveness because. I know some people at Christmas that this bitterness rises up yeah. because of something that happened uh, or, you know, whenever it is for you. And if that's you, just uh, realize that you've got to let that go so that because you work your whole months or year to get on the right track. And then that one month just boom blows it off and you start back over and then you get there and then you fall again and start back over. I want you to have people to have an, to overcome that by, and I think it's really truly giving it to the Father and, and forgiveness and moving on.
0: Normally, what I like to do in those seasons is take off for about three weeks and no one knows where I am <laughs> in the middle of the mountain and nowhere and just spend time with God. And, but that's not facing it. Yep. Let, let's, let's be honest. So, uh, verses 16 through 18 don't fast to be seen, but wash your face and don't let it be known. Uh, it says it uh, this way do not worry uh, about your church reputation, is what I'll say. Mm-hmm. And look upon men for approval, seek God and not man.
1: And this verse right here, a lot of people want to uh, debate it because we do what we call a corporate fast. First of the year, the whole church comes together and fasts. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, you're not supposed to be doing that. Well, This, Jesus is talking about the individual and he's talking about when you, uh, you're praying about one thing, you need to fast. Uh, fasting is part of what Jesus expected. It's part of, uh, of our Christianity. But when uh, you go on a particular fast for yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, you don't publicize it. You don't do it for recognition. i look at so-and-so. But there's a time that the church needs to humble itself and, mm-hmm. pr- and fast corporately yes. for directions or things of God. See, some of
0: the feasts uh, were fast days. I know mm-hmm. we, we
1: like to say feast by our title. And mm-hmm. Some of
0: them were fast days. Now, I asked this question plain and simply uh, on what he was just touching on. If God didn't want corporate fasts, then are you saying that Jesus told them to stop doing the corporate fast on
1: those feast days? Well, you know, corporate fast, a lot of times I look at uh, Nineveh. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh and walks through, God's going to destroy us. And what did they do? Everyone, the king, the animals, everything fasted. And uh, so it was a corporate fast. And that corporate fast changed the heart or mind of God Mm -hmm. for that season, Mm -hmm. because we know later they repented. Uh, or they didn't, they fell back into sins, they didn't repent, uh, and God did judge them. But for that season, they repented and God spared them. Yeah. So uh, that was a corporate. So there are times for a corporate fast. Amen. Um, 19 through 21, don't store up treasures
0: on earth, store up treasures in heaven. What you treasure, that's where your heart is. Uh, treasure souls. Mm. Get people saved Seek seek the reward that comes from that, because that's an eternal reward. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, verses 22 through 23, your eyes like a lamp for the body, read the word of God. And it's like feeding light into your entire being. Uh, Fill it with things of this world and fill it with darkness. Mm -hmm. That's what you're doing. Uh, When's the last time we truly studied the word and thought of it as feeding us body into our, uh, our body with light. Because that's what you're doing. Uh, You know, it, uh, the law uh, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Uh, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. Uh, you shall not covet. Do not love money more than God. That's, that's what we're touching on there in verse 24. 25 through 27, do not worry. God feeds the birds. Uh, are you not worthy more than them? Uh, on the Mount Sinai, God fed them manna all the way up through there. So while Moses was up there fasting on the mountain, everybody else was enjoying manna. <laughs> yeah. But he fed them. He fed them. He took care of them. Uh, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 2, uh, we'll look at it. The standard you use when judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So if you're judging someone for something you're guilty of, we see that a lot in politics right now, mm. <laughs> uh, you'll be judged by the same standard from God. That's that's a promise mm. right here in Scripture. So uh, verse 6, Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample your pearls and then turn and attack you. So in Proverbs 23, 9, Don't waste your breath on a fool,
1: for they will despise the wisest advice. Mm. You know, this, this is another passage for for a pastor uh, struggles with because if you pastor a church uh, or if you're just a person that has a kind heart and you uh, uh, have uh, God's blessed you and you have you're prosperous, you have money in the bank uh, the scripture says don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy uh, now One of the things that I've noticed, not all poor people are unholy, but a lot of unholy people are poor because of their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have, as a church, we have uh, some people that are unholy that knock on the door, want to help, you know. And everyone has the same story. Uh, I have a child that has treatments in Louisville or uh, another city, you know, an hour away, I need gas money and I need money to eat on while we're down there. And, uh, in and most of these, they're, they're so nervous and, the drugs, the withdrawals are shaken. Uh, in today's society, there's, there, we do, we're faced with a major drug problems. In many churches, and many Christians, uh, even uh, in families, you, you'll have uh, that one sometimes in a family. And, uh, and when we say no, when we say no, because, you know, there's, there's, the Lord doesn't want us to, to waste. I want to help people like that, but my money is not helping it's uh just uh in, in enabling them to continue in their their sickness their disease their sin mm-hmm. so uh uh I just want to tell you that are ministers that are pastors uh, uh even uh you know you have family members it's okay to say no uh I'm not saying no say no to the poor or anybody can fall on hard times and uh you know it's i'm not saying say no to those but to that one that you know is doing wrong i think the scripture right here let's let you know don't waste your time don't cast what's it say uh uh then they're uh, about not casting your pearls before the swine so mm-hmm. you know uh i just think that we need to uh, to you know have some wisdom yeah. in that absolutely
0: so it's it's God doesn't call us to be an enabler for sin. So yeah. that's what you're looking at. Yeah, like mm-hmm. um, Verses 7 through 11, keep asking, seeking, and knocking. God knows how to give good gifts. We've, uh, we've talked about that one a lot. Uh, verse 12, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Uh, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Mm. That's, that's Jesus' own words. Do unto others. Verses 13 and 14, you can enter the, uh, God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gates wide for many who clo- uh, choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only few ever find it. Hmm. So Jesus is the word, and so he is also the law. I want to point that out. In uh, the grace and the sacrifice, he is the way. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he's, he's explaining that. So he's the spoken word. He's the written word. He's, he's, he is the word. And, uh, and so I want to also point out, though, there is no greater con- condemnation now that he expanded the law to its true purpose. I want to explain that because, uh, you know, yes, he's expanding it. Yes, he's broadening it. You know, uh, Romans 8, 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of weakness of our sinful natures. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have and that our body, uh, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So there's no condemnation for people who have put those things behind them. And there's no condemnation uh, you know, over all these things. It's important to remember that God, uh, He's not condemning you. The condemnation of the law is gone, mm-hmm. but there's still the responsibility to follow You know, what God is saying, the heart of it. That's why he writes it on our heart. So uh, verse 1 of the next chapter. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. When he rose from the dead, he placed his blood on the true Ark of the Covenant in heaven. There is no condemnation for those of us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So the articles that uh, were in the tabernacle... And the ark and all of these things, they had a heavenly, there's heavenly versions. Those are the true ones. Moses was making what he saw. Mm -hmm. And that's what he went over with these people. This is what I saw. This is what it needs to look like. So Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he tells uh, Mary, don't touch me. Don't cling to me Mm because he hadn't gone and placed the blood upon that ark in heaven. So there's no condemnation for the law itself or the greater expansion that he said. Condemnation is gone. We still have the responsibility to live that way. But it's, what's the heart of it? That's what I want to get at on this. So Moses on the mountain, God's spirit likeness walking on the mountain, melted the rock. So when God was up there on top of the mountain, he's melting the rock and creating a canopy over the tribes of Israel. Moses brings the law, and the children say yes. Remember, we went over that in the earlier scriptures. They say yes to everything that God says, hey, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. They Mm -hmm. say yes, each and every time. 1,500 years later, Acts 2, God's Spirit inhabits His people fulfilling the contract in His part of the marriage supper, uh, leading to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is an event, this is like an engagement, where the people said yes, they get filled with the Spirit 1,500 years later, the promise of this particular section is fulfilled, and then that marks going towards Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Rosh Hashanah marks the time of the rapture of the church uh, atonement marks the judgment of the world and the 144,000 Jews that are raptured tabernacles marks the resurrection of all and the white throne judgment the grape harvest all alive uh, or dead resurrected unto the judgment we we'll went over that in the beginning of this uh, so in closing I want to get to you know, Boaz met Ruth on unleavened bread during that feast, at the barley harvest, Ruth the outsider was grafted in. They married at the time of the wheat harvest during Shavuot. Uh, in Acts 2, Jews set bounds during Shavuot in anticipation of the revelation that comes by the Spirit. So don't miss that. So often we read over that or hear that and we're like, well, what's the big deal? They set bounds. His disciples gathered into the upper room with others 120, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. They set bounds. Cut themselves off from everybody else and set bounds. The Jews have been doing this the whole time. All right. And they don't even know particularly why they do that. But the spirit comes rushing in and suddenly fills them with God's own spirit. And like manner, when the rapture takes place, in the speed like the twinkling of an eye, God will turn our corruption, our uh, our false image of God that it's become, back into his likeness. So you've got a rapture event becoming... Uh, incorruptible and immortal in a moment in the sky. So it's when the rapture takes place, this is the way that the revelation I've always had of it. It's uh, it's instantaneous. You're transported into the sky. You see Jesus and you see him for as he is. Not like people saw him when he was here on the earth. Mm -hmm. In that moment when you see him, everything is wiped away that is corruptible. And incorruptible. It's it's a blast of energy, like which we could never describe. And so corruptible becomes incorruptible, and uh, mortal becomes immortal. It's wiping away every false image in an instant moment. And it's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain or shame. We will know Him like uh, in the like manner of a bride knows her husband. Right there in that moment, just boom. And it's yeah, yeah. Turn from corruption to incorruption.
1: Amen. Well, you know, today that's interesting teaching. Covered a lot of stuff. Uh, headed into uh, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, it's a time of uh, one of the feasts that we're we're commanded to appear before the Lord and mm-hmm. not to not to come empty-handed. So uh, I just uh, looking for great things uh, this. Uh, this Pentecost Sunday that will, God will bless his people, pour out great blessings upon you, Amen. On them as they honor him. So
0: I hope you got out of this lesson what I was trying to convey. Uh, we got this, all this stuff going on. We got the feast coming up, but I want you to remember that it's about the law being written on your heart. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, seeing what Jesus was trying to say. He didn't... Br- he didn't do that to bring greater condemnation. He came to fulfill the law. What was the heart of the law the entire time? Everything that he said. So it wasn't just for this moment forward. It was the entire time this is what it meant. Amen. It's important to remember that. But I hope you enjoyed this, our uh, session on Shavuot. And, uh, you know, go to church and have a good time. and. Grow in the Lord as much as you can.
1: That's it. Growing in the Lord. Grow closer to Him. Grow in knowledge. Amen. Amen. Um, We'll see you next week. God bless and have a great week.